from Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read and study through these words of Scripture, as we've been doing here in Second Peter chapter 1, may we always keep in mind that these Scriptures are closely intertwined with each other. Their meanings and their purposes are intimately woven together one with another. As the words of Isaiah 28 reminds us, it is precept upon precept, line upon line. With each word of these scriptures, their meaning and their purposes just flowing into the next. And we find that especially so here in these verses as we read that it is God's divine power that is working out His great and precious promises, giving us everything that we need for life and godliness so that you and I can escape the corruption caused by the lusts of our flesh. Speaks of that here in Scripture. It's those lusts that have somehow found ways to linger within us even after we have been washed clean and set free in our salvation. Remnants of our old dead sin nature that still cling to the outside edges of our souls and finding ways to rear their wretched heads to bring that corruption back into our behavior. But thanks be to God, He has truly given us everything that we need for life and godliness so that we can escape that corruption. And that's a guarantee. That's what He tells us here in these Scriptures. It's with this powerful spiritual unction that propels you and me on forward in our faith and in our love relationship with Christ. Described here in verses 5 through 8, setting forth step by step rise to new and more godly heights of behaviors and standards of conduct. And each of these steps that we'll be studying are wondrously precious. Each of them gaining us better ways of godliness, ways that we've never known before. These words and these instructions are what these scriptures and what the Bible scholars call sanctification. It's that process by which we who have received Christ by faith as our Savior and Lord are now being set apart for those purposes that God has for us. When we were born as a newborn child into this faith, we were no better off and no more able to get on about what God wanted us to than a newborn child is in their initial birth. And so what God is saying here, He says, I want to now raise you up. I want to set you apart for the purposes that I have for you. I want to train you up in ways of righteousness. I want you to grow in knowledge and wisdom of Christ. And so here in these next words, 
are seven blessed steps that are set out for us to follow. And may I strongly emphasize that we must follow them ever so diligently else we will surely become as verse 8 warns. And God put verse 8 in there intentionally. He did not just give us verses 5 through 7. He gave us verse 8 because it warns us that we can have and be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Christ and our relationship with Him. That we can be saved and we can live a life that we're saved but not sanctified. Not sanctified in the way that God wants His beloved sons and daughters to be sanctified. We would be like a bride who never gives herself fully to her bridegroom. Married, yes, but never enjoying a real love relationship with her bridegroom. Having all the provisions that He makes for her, but no intimate love. I do fear that many Christians live that life all the days of their life. I'd never step on into this love relationship. And that's what God is talking about here. So he begins here in verse 5, strongly exhorting us and urging us on. He says, make every effort. Another version says, give all diligence, working with all your heart to add these steps upon steps of sanctification to our faith. And the Lord here begins with this godly attribute of virtue. Add to your faith virtue. But may I pause here for a moment and give a strong caution against our often assumption of the simplest understanding of a meaning of a word. Yes, God does keep matters simple for us, especially when we're newly reborn children of His. But remember that God does not want, does not desire that you and I remain elementary in our understanding. You and I need to want with all of our hearts to go ahead and move on forward in our knowledge and wisdom of Him. And with that in mind, we're here being addressed, and I want to remind us of this, as true believers. These words were written to true believers, men and women who have faith unto salvation. It's a very basic form of faith. That's why he says you need to add to this faith. But it is faith that is unto salvation. These words are telling us and instructing us that these are not words on how to get saved. You don't do these seven steps to get saved. You cannot do these seven steps or any one of them or all of them and get saved by them. These are steps of sanctification. Salvation is through a whole other process and that is through the shed blood of Christ. From that point then, you step on in to these steps of sanctification. And he's saying to us, our faith is elemental faith. Faith that needs more substance added to it for it to become mature and useful to Christ in our daily walk with Him. Else we're no different than we were before we were saved. We're ineffectual and unproductive. And here the Holy Spirit then begins to reveal these steps. The first attribute that we are to add to our faith, he tells us, is virtue. Virtue. What is virtue? What does it mean? I confess to you that I don't often use the word virtue. I probably should, but I don't. Virtue is a word that means goodness. 
But not just goodness in the way that we understand it. Goodness beyond our common understanding. Goodness in being. Goodness in our character. Goodness in our behavior. And it has within it a special measure of excellence. Excellence in its highest and most godly form and manner. That's why we will see it in the another version of Scripture being translated as excellence instead of virtue. But it's excellence that is filled with purity and holiness producing within us a moral conscience beyond any norm to which we are ordinarily accustomed with our usual behavior. And virtue is dynamic. It's not static. Virtue is not only being. We are to be virtuous. But we are also to do virtuous things. So it's being and doing. We are to be morally and godly excellent in every way. But we're also to do morally and godly excellent things. Scripture tells us that people will be able to look at us and they'll know whether or not we have Christ. Whether or not we are stepping along as He instructs us here in our sanctification. You and I are to have virtuous behavior and conduct. Conduct beyond question or reproach. People ought to be able to look at you and me and know us as being Christians. And that's a tall order, yes. But that's the way of God and that's the way He wants you and me to be. We are to be in the image of Christ. And again, virtuousness is to become our ordinary manner of daily life. Changed completely. Now for you ladies, God has given you a precious and detailed description of what the conduct and behavior of a virtuous woman should look like. And you can find that in the book of Proverbs chapter 31. For us men, the instructions on virtuousness are more spread throughout these scriptures. They're found particularly though in the books of Ephesians and First and Second Peter. But also plainly given all throughout these scriptures so that we are without excuse. So then, virtue is having and being and doing pure and holy, excellent things and behaviors. Always exercising a moral conscience that's beyond reproach. Approach. Virtue. Are you virtuous? The Lord says start adding it today to your faith. And then once we've added to our faith virtue, we are to immediately begin to add knowledge. But not just intellectual knowledge. It's to be a very special kind of spirit-filled knowledge. And interestingly, we find that this form of knowledge is somewhat different than the knowledge that we just studied about a few weeks back in verse 3. This kind of knowledge is the kind that we gain from a diligent study of these scriptures. It's the only way that we're going to gain that particular knowledge is through a diligent study of these scriptures. The repeated reading and meditating on the concepts and purposes and designs that God has spoken about continually throughout these scriptures. And I want to emphasize repeated reading. 
you and I should have a daily schedule of reading these scriptures. And I added the word meditating. Don't scan through your Bible reading. Read it and meditate upon it. Writing these words indelibly upon your minds and hearts so you can always know how you're expected to be and to behave and how to conduct all the matters of your daily life as Christians. Do you know that you can know the will of God? You really can. Let me read from Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And Listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what takes place as you repeatedly read these scriptures and write them up on your heart and mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, listen, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Too often we Christians spend much of our time wondering what is God's will in a one matter or another. Listen again to these words. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I can know what God's will is in matters of our day. This is the formula. We have to be prepared for it, those circumstances as they come to us. But because we have been writing this word upon our heart, we don't have to think a lot about many of the things that confront us each day. As we read these precious truths of these scriptures and we write them into our minds and hearts, we actually become transformed as he, as the Lord tells us here in verse 2. Our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our beliefs, they're changed. They're changed. I know mine have been, and I know if you think about yours, they have been. And through the Holy Spirit who resides within these words, real and true knowledge and understanding of who God is and who we ought to be in Him, what we ought to be doing, begin to come to the surface then in our souls. And we start to become very different people, thinking differently, behaving differently. We start to become better husbands and better wives. We start to become better daddies, better fathers, better mothers. We become better employers, better employees. We stop complaining so much. We stop finding so much wrong with what our boss does or what our employer does. If we're the employer, we start to find less and less wrong with the employee. We begin to change into this image of Christ. And that's a wonderful change. A wonderful change that God makes in us. And then next year, we're told as we're adding virtue and knowledge to our faith, he says also add self-control. Self-control. Verse 5 again. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Now may I caution us that this is one of those occasions where we must be very careful as we deal with these new character traits. Here is where our old dead self can easily slither its way back into our newly reborn personality. 
in many of the usual circumstances involving self-control, our responses can quickly evolve into some subjective or opinionated response. And therein lies that fine line that we can easily step across. I'm saying this because I personally experienced this. Sometimes we get backed into a corner with our old habits and behaviors and we find old answers coming out from our mouth. Old answers that we've grown up with. We believe them, we've accepted them all of our life. But now the Lord wants us to change. He doesn't want us to say those things anymore or do those things anymore. He wants us to be different. Those old answers don't work with the new spirit. What do we do when our old self starts to get control there? You and I need to be able to call upon His Holy Spirit within us to help us and to guide us, guide our thoughts, guide our behaviors in those critical moments. And yes, most all of these new character traits that God's Spirit desires to add to our personality, they'll almost all of them will involve some interaction between self and God's indwelling self, His Holy Spirit. But again, for myself, this is where I find that self-control is difficult to keep in line, in the right perspective. Self-control involves myself. And my personal self is so often very dominant and very insistent. I have one of those types of personalities. Perhaps you do. The thing that we have to keep bringing back to mind is, as a new creature in Christ, our new self now has the presence of the self of the Holy Spirit. His self is also in me. And it's in our being able to delicately intertwine His fruits of the Spirit with our own mind and emotions that our own free will efforts then will become able to do His good and perfect will that we read about there in Romans 12. The only possible avenue of achieving that kind of self-control is through this continual kind of heart attitude of surrender that I keep talking to us about so often. The giving up of our will to His will. To be willing to cast aside those old ways that you grew up with, that you learned from your daddy or you learned from someone. They didn't mean to implant wrong things within you, but it doesn't work with the new spirit. And God is willing to help. This is an example of Philippians 2, 12 and 13 being worked out in our daily lives. Let me read those words for you. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, those words, that's us, our free will, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. But then we have to have verse 13. For it is God doing His part. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So it's this delicate interaction, this delicate intertwining of our free will and God's Holy Spirit working out His good and perfect will in us. So then, 
How does this self-control work itself out in the practical matters of our daily lives? It's as I've been saying. It manifests itself in our awareness of the presence and the will of God's Holy Spirit having control inside of us. Do you do that? Do you stop at any time during the day and intentionally ask the Lord to make yourself known to me that you are present within what I'm doing here today? I ask you that question because I do that now. I want to see the presence of the Lord in all the things that I do all during my day because it is in those small things that take place all during the day that make up the day. Our whole day is filled with all of those little small issues of life. And if you start to want His presence involved in all of those smaller issues, then you'll find by the end of the day that His Holy Spirit has worked out His will in you. It's listening for that still small voice that He speaks about there, making us want to do His will. And we start to do that. We really start to do that. And also, thankfully, we'll find ourselves not being so quick then to respond with our old personal opinions about matters. If you hear these words coming out of your mouth, if you want my opinion, stop right there and don't do it. Because as for myself, I find that my personal opinion is most often detrimental, not helpful. It's ineffective and unproductive, as verse 8 tells us. So is your opinion. Don't pride yourself in believing that you know something. Go back to the Lord and let His Holy Spirit come out with those words. Now before we leave today and leave this attribute of self-control, I want to give us a commentary from Matthew Henry because he adds some additional words that I believe will be helpful to us. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says, We must be sober, clear-minded in our behavior. Be moderate in our love towards and the use of the good things of this life. The good things. Not the struggles, but the good things of this life. If we have a right understanding and knowledge of outward comforts, we shall see that their worth and their usefulness are vastly inferior to those of God's spiritual mercies. Bodily privileges profit us very little and therefore are to be esteemed and used sparingly. We must be moderate in our desiring and use of the good things of this natural life, such as meat and drink and clothes and sleep and recreation and all other such things as those. An inordinate desire after those things is inconsistent, he says, with an earnest desire after God and Christ. And those who seek after, reach for, and take more of those things than is reasonable can render back to neither to God nor to man that which is due to them. We're too busy taking care of ourselves, meeting our own needs. Now those words were written to us by Matthew Henry 400 years ago, but they're still effective and timeless in their value. So then... Self-control is our own heart, soul, mind, and spirit intentionally and willfully joining with God's Holy Spirit in our daily conduct and behavior. Moment by moment, working out 
that which is well-pleasing in the sight of God. And by doing that, we will live lives that are blessed beyond any measure that we could hope for or imagine. All of that is wrapped up in just that hyphenated word, self-control. Lord willing, we'll continue to study these attributes next week. May we close with our scripture passage. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.